Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're talking about Four Weeks of Scandal by Megan Prantha. This was just published in 2022 and is the fifth book in the Hazards of Duke series. And full disclosure, we did receive a complimentary copy of the book. And we have reviewed the first four books in the series. A quick refresher, it's about an ethical gaming hell, or at least that's what the first one was about. And then how the subsequent ones have related, I don't remember. They all end up kind of related to each other by marriage. Or something. So with that, the book jacket. It only takes one moment to cause a scandal and four weeks to live it down. Week one, lovely, lively Octavia Holton arrives in the village determined to claim her inheritance, the home she grew up in with her late father. Surely he meant for his daughter to have the property and owning it means she could fix it up, sell it and use the money to pay off her debts. But when she arrives, she discovers the house is also claimed by one Gabriel Fallon. Week two. Gabriel claims his father won the property in a bet, but he can't bring himself to toss Octavia out on her very delightful derriere. So he makes her a four-week bargain. Together, they'll pretend to be engaged, all the while seeking out any will, letter, or document that proves who gets the ownership. Weeks three and four. But that means togetherness, a lot of togetherness, and long days and evenings in each other's company. The pair seems destined to duke it out, staking their claims, but it's all too soon that they realize their rivalry might lead to something much more intimate. And suddenly, four weeks seems like a long time, and yet not enough. This is a trash jacket. <laughs> I actually have no problems with this jacket. <laughs> it uh, makes no well, sense, but I don't care. Everything in week two should be in week one. Yeah, I don't care about that. Chronologically. They don't consciously strike a big deal to be fake engaged. No, they don't, but I don't care about that. Okay, so Meg is like, this to me is like two artfully arranged for how many mistakes it makes but to meg i guess the cutesy works yeah you're that's right that's exactly right they also don't cause a scandal and then live it down no that's true but that sentence doesn't it's just an introductory sentence it doesn't have anything to do with what actually happened in the book right <laughs> so my vote is trash meg's vote is good yeah great so, uh, as usual, we generated a random number between 1 and 50 and wrote our own summaries using that number as a word count. And this episode, that number is 22. So, my summary. When your deal with the devil comes due, make a bargain with the man who's hotter than sin. Let the cards fall. <laughs> I applaud your use of gambling metaphors. Very well done. Thank you. Very well done. All right, here's my... I, I don't, I, so Lane lived up to the cutesy summary. I, I didn't, sorry guys. In debt, but can't ask the two dukes in your family for help? Cash in on daddy's inheritance, if you can. So I have a question that your mm -hmm. summary sort of prompts, and I don't know the answer, and I shockingly didn't Google it. 
she's convinced that her father left his inheritance to her and her sister. Mm-hmm. And so she goes to the house not to track down evidence that she owns it, but just to find his will. Yep. And then when she arrives, Gideon is there claiming his own rights to ownership. So it shifts to she's trying to figure out the sort of timeline of her father's gambling and if there's any way he won the house back before he died. But the fact that she even went needing to seek a will makes me wonder if, like, if you die now, like, your children, your spouse is your primary inheritor and your children are generally your secondary and then for anyone outside of that to inherit, you need a will. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to, like, change that by default, you need a will. I don't know if that was true back then. I honestly have no idea. Like, without a will, would the house have gone to, like, his next closest male relative? And who would that have been? Like, basically, there's a lot of questions potentially prompted by the inheritance shenanigans that Megan Frampton just immediately doesn't deal with. And I, like, actually respect her for that. I mean, this, look, you have to understand, this is a woman who, an author, who totally also messed with the rules of inheritance in the first book of the series. And you know what? At this point, I'm like, bring it on. Yeah, the first book of the series didn't work for me. But in this one, I'm just like, you know what? Will Schmill, it actually doesn't matter, which is part of why I'm so willing to be like, Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm Because ultimately, she finds her own way to make money and doesn't have to worry about her father's inheritance. But I just thought it wasn't interesting. Like, it made me wonder, oh, we learned so much about aristocratic inheritance through the process of voraciously consuming romance novels. <laughs> and I actually don't know as much about what inheritance law would have looked like in the UK for yeah. people without titles, without entails without and entails. estates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. All right. Let's do tropes. Yeah. They have a fake engagement. That's the main trope. Yeah. Everything that implies. They have to spend time together. They have to pretend that they care about each other in front of witnesses. They fall in love with each other. Yeah, everything you imagine pretending to be in love would cause two people who are actually in love to do. Yeah. They both have dogs. But they have opposite dogs. They have opposite dogs. I loved so much about this dog thing, actually. Like, he's he's got the little dog named... Nix. And she's got big dog named... Cerberus. So, okay. I love this so much. He's got this cute little dog named Nyx, which is the, she's the goddess of dreams or something like mm-hmm. that, right? Did I get that right? Yeah, she's the goddess of, hold on. I remember looking this up because of Immortals After Dark. <laughs> because of Nyx. Yeah, so in the book, they called her the goddess of night. Yeah. But, so I don't know, like, what the distinction is. Dreams is probably close enough, whatever. Yeah. And, uh, okay, the other thing I loved, and of course we all know who Cerberus is, but the thing that I loved, like, the most is that Gideon, oh my god, the thing that I loved the most is that Gabriel is a scholar of Greek myths. I called him Gideon, that's why you did that. It's your fault! <laughs> it's my fault. Yeah, so he's a scholar of Greek myths. Wait, um, you did this with the Wallflower Wager, too? Yep. Why don't you like the name Gabriel? I have no idea. Probably sinister related. Probably. So he is a scholar of Greek myths. So I just really liked 
the whole thing. This isn't deep, dark symbolism where you have to be like, I wonder what this means. It's just really fun, surface level, enjoyable stuff. Well, and if you don't know who Cerberus is, it's explained in the text. <laughs> yeah, so if you don't, read the book and you'll find out. I, mean, I just love, I think it's, it's sort of a trope for the dainty little woman to have a big, angry animal. Mm-hmm. And the big, strapping guy to have the little princess of a dog. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the dogs are immediately best friends. The dogs love each other. It's so cute. I love it. Well, good. There are inheritance shenanigans. Yes, there are inheritance shenanigans. With a soupçon of gambling and wagers and notes and promising things other than money. Yeah, but not them. No, they're ethical <laughs> gamblers. <laughs> yes. Um, they have to live in this house together for four weeks, as the title implies. That means there is a lot of forced proximity. Including in a library with a library hookup. And mm-hmm. I was grateful. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. I liked it. I was not that into the spanking that went down, but like, good for them. Uh, okay. We can talk about, well, you know what? Let's talk about it more later. Because uh, I don't have a lot to say about it, but I want to. <laughs> okay. This is also an opposites attract romance. She is flighty, you know, she doesn't have plans. She just is impulsive and plunges into things. And he's a planner, um, studious. Yes, he likes to, likes to have a plan for everything. So, I don't know. she was schooled in the school of hard knocks. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I liked it. I, I, I'll talk more about this, too, because I thought it was well done. I, I like them as a couple a lot. Just leave it mm-hmm. at that for now. Um, there's one-sided goodbye sex. What do we call it? Secret goodbye sex? Yeah, secret goodbye sex. She knows it's goodbye sex, but he does not. Mm-hmm. And she is very... The way she tells him it was goodbye sex was a little bit like, oh, girl. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't have done that like that. Yeah, but that's her, you know, that's her thing. That's that's Octavia's thing is she she talks first and thinks later. She kept her mouth shut deliberately. Yep. And then opened it haphazardly. Yep. I mean, yeah. And um there is a nice little pond swim Darcy inspired, possibly. This happens a lot in romance novels. Um I'm thinking the Maiden Lane about the guy who's lost mm-hmm. his voice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the Sarah McLean with the guy who's got the adjacent property. Mm-hmm. But this one, the way it was described, felt very Colin Firth and Pride and Prejudice. Mm-hmm. Don't at me. Why would anyone at you about that? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Like, I think you're, I don't think that's, like, super controversial. I think you're good. Okay. <laughs> this book is really low angst, and I really liked that about it. It was a tall drink of water. <laughs> tall drink of water on a hot it, summer day. It was refreshing and hot. <laughs> it, was a hot it was a tall drink of tea, hot tea. 
<laughs> I don't know, Meg. I'm deliriously tired this morning. <laughs> I can tell that. Uh, yeah, I. one of the things I really liked about it is that both of the characters, both main characters, actually all of the characters in this book, every single one of them, there's no villain. Every single person is just like a decent person. There's a little bit of a villain. You're right. You're right. I, as soon as I said that, I like thought a little bit harder and I was like, God damn it. There is a villain. But he's not a treasonous bastard. No, he's not. He's, not a, he's a money bastard. lender who's living up to his profession and is respects the terms he's laid out. Yeah. Clearly so, not a good person, but like not an evil hanging over their heads. Yeah. But every other person in the text, it really is just like a normal person trying to do their best. Even the person who is like the town gossip. Yeah. Lovely, just mean, lovely person. Right. It just means the best for them. I don't know. Like it, it was, it, it, you're right. It was, I think you're right that the word refreshing is a good word for it. Not tall drink of water. No. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't come up with refreshing. Just the refreshing part, not, not right. the tall drink of water part. Right. <laughs> I really liked it. I was, uh, never, uh, I was never worried about anything while I was reading this book. And I will say, if I had to say the one angsty thing that went on too long was them not talking to each other about what they wanted and assuming it was impossible when, like, the solution was so dumb and so good. Uh-huh. And yeah. so obvious. But, and I'd, I'd be more frustrated about it if everything else hadn't been so friggin' fluffy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I cannot disagree with you. So one of the things I, I liked, so we talked about them being opposites attract, right? Yeah. But what I thought was interesting was how they got to the opposite state. So they both are reacting to their upbringing, but they're reacting in different ways. Mm -hmm. They both basically had the same upbringing. Like they literally had fathers who were gamblers. His father was slightly more successful gambler. So, like, could actually make a living on it. But they both had their lives ruined in one way or the other by their fathers being gamblers. And really, they both learned that their fathers were going to chase that gambling high mm -hmm. at a higher priority than, like, providing a safe and loving environment for their children. Exactly. And I, I think you, they became very different people because of it. And I think without it ever being heavy-handed, there were a lot of implications as to why. Mm-hmm. Like, Octavia's dad treated his daughters like property mm -hmm. to be bought, sold, or gambled. And Gabriel's father treated him like a potential asset in meeting marks. Yep. So they had different utility, but they were still objects, not people. Mm-hmm. So I really liked it. And I did really like that it didn't get this like deep psychological treatment from Megan Frampton. I, I did look, there are a lot of things she's not subtle about, but this was subtle enough. Like you could read it. You saw that it was there. And she didn't need to be you over the head with it. And I really liked that. And it was also like a factor in believing this couple was really well suited. Absolutely. 
Like, mm-hmm. yes, their opposites attract, and there are sometimes that that opposition feels shoehorned in. It did not here. Mm-mm. Like, they were very different. They did view the world very differently, and I 100% bought that they were perfect for each other. Yep. Speaking of them having the same background, they one of the fun things about this book was that in the very first book in the series, you learn that Ivy, who is Octavia's sister, was lost in a gambling hand. So her father put her up as the stakes against Gabriel's father. Um, And her father lost the hand. So Ivy was going to have to marry Gabriel's father. But then she played him double or nothing, basically throwing Octavia's hand of marriage into the pot as well. And Octavia would have married Gabriel. Who was not there. He was off at school. I had no idea this was going down. He didn't know. He didn't like ask for it. He wasn't like, I'm like, just to be clear, he was, he was an innocent bystander at tens, if not hundreds of miles away. Yes. But I, I really liked that like little touch of destined love or like faded mates. Like you can't escape the thread that is tying us together. You know, they were gonna end up together one way or another. Yeah. And I, I liked it, but of course it's better. Because they picked each other, right? Obviously. Obviously. I, I liked it. It was just so cute. I liked it a lot. It was super fucking cute. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we add to that, like, no angst at all. Like, zero, guys. And that, I think, takes us right into content warnings. I got jack shit. I don't have any. I mean, there's the gambling, right? But that, like, obviously both of their fathers were addicted to gambling. So if you would be triggered by reading about someone who was addicted to gambling, that's the only thing I can think of, like, honestly. Like, they both had shitty childhoods, but other than the gambling his daughters away, like, none of the specific examples of that shittiness were really depicted. Right. So it wasn't, like, reliving the trauma. It was just, like, recognizing that that shaped both of them. Yeah. Exactly. So no, I, I did not find anything triggering. I don't think there is any content warning that is like a true warning. You need a warning about. Yeah. Her her business and autonomy is respected. Like, oh my god, this this takes us to sexiness. Like Gabriel. Oh my god. <laughs> if you want to talk about a book that does consent well, this book does consent really well. It was A+. plus. Yes, it was really good. I am going to be 100% completely honest because you know that's what I do. I was expecting something just a little sexier, mostly based on the last couple of books in the series. Like, Gentleman Seeks Bride was, like, so hot. And it's not that this book wasn't hot because their scenes were very sexy. Just wasn't quite the same level. I mean, they didn't have to sneak around, really. Mm-hmm. They were very upfront about what they wanted from one another before they ever engaged in anything that further than kissing. And I do think the fact that like nothing about it felt illicit, mm-hmm. and there wasn't any of that like backroom can't take my hands off of you, but now is not the time or the place. 
like a lot of those things do up the sex factor. And like, this was just two people who really got along and wanted to hook up and had a house to themselves. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk very quickly about the spanking thing. I'm not like into spanking, but they were into it. That said, it was like not very much of it. So if you are into spanking and you're like, oh, a spanking book, there's like one spank. It's also immediately followed by coitus interruptus. Right. That's what I'm saying. It was it was an interesting choice. Yeah, and he doesn't like pick it up again later. She's not like, hey, remember what we were doing? Like they like pat each other on the butt as like a sexy reminder. Yeah. They're really into each other's butts and not in an anal way. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's your thing. That's fine. He's a butt dude. She's a butt girl. Yeah. Fine. Um, I will say everything you've said is totally valid, but I liked the structure of the sex. Mm-hmm. Like I thought it totally showed their increasing intimacy, just how frank they were with each other inside and outside of the bedroom. And for all that, you know, I always complain about the secret goodbye sex that is full of misunderstandings. There was then a happy sex scene after all the conflict had been resolved. And I was like, yes, this is the structure I want from sex. I want to serve the plot. I want to progress in intensity. And I want to make sure that there is, if there is the angsty sex scene that shows how they're falling apart, I need the one when they get back together. A plus job, Megan Frampton. I mean, look, the only reason I was like slightly disappointed in the sex is because she writes sex all well. She could have given me more. That's all I'm saying. And there was a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit of euphemistic language that at times yeah. struck me. Like, but then it would fix itself. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, it's, it's very interesting because in this book, the sex communication is very good. Very well done. I was about to praise the communication in general, but oh, then can't. I realized I can't do that. You can't. But that's where, like, they were communicating. It wasn't like they were only communicating in the bedroom. Right. So, like, it's not that it's one of those things you can laugh about. Because they were bonding and getting to know each other outside of the bedroom as well. But they weren't nearly as, like, vulnerable. There was just this one thing that both of them were like, I just can't say it. And if you've ever read a romance novel before, we just gave away everything. (laughs) I'm going to spoil what that one thing is. (laughs) So... Talk to you later if you don't want to hear it is. But if you have ever read a romance novel, you know that what they're hiding from each other is that they are in love with each other because they don't want the other person to feel obligated to be with them. <laughs> and it's hilarious because they both are like operating in this. We just want different lives and therefore love wouldn't be enough. Mm-hmm. And I just want to be like, it's not like one of you lives on a different continents. Like, we're literally talking about, what, like, 60 miles? Like, maximum. I mean, didn't she do it in one day? Yeah. Probably more like 15 miles. Like, 15 miles. Combined with their wealth and privilege. Yeah. I was just like, this is the most surmountable obstacle I've ever heard of. Luckily, they figured it the fuck out, and it only took them four weeks. (laughs) Spoiler alert, they end up together. (laughs) I think it technically took them five. <laughs> I, I think it was only four because she did her party on the third week and then she left early. No, they, no. I have this memorized. I just finished this. This is why. 
Um, they get there and they spend a week looking for everything. And then after a week, the dude comes to threaten her. Mm-hmm. And in response, they decide they're going to throw the party. And then they say, okay, we'll throw the party in 19 days. Mm-hmm. So it's already been a week. Then the party's in three weeks. She leaves on day 20. And then it's eight days before he shows up at her house. So it's five weeks. Seven I plus think- 19. Seven plus 20 plus eight. It's five weeks. Whatever, Lane. We're going to have to disagree. I'm an that. anal retentive nut job. It's 35 days. <laughs> we. But are we talking one month? 35 days, five weeks. <laughs> Whatever. It's like, uh, apologies to everyone. I know being this pedantic is not appealing. <laughs> um, well, on that note, guys, thank you so much for listening. And uh, we will be back with new episodes here in a couple of weeks. I don't know that you're going to notice a difference, but uh, we're about to take a little bit of a summer break. Woo-woo. So we'll be back soon. Thanks, guys. Bye.